Cannabis Tech Talks. I'm Patricia Miller, Executive Editor with Cannabis and Tech Today. We're here at MJ BizCon on site at the PolyScience Summit Research booth. Special thanks to our sponsors, PolyScience. I'm sitting down today with Rob Perro, CEO and founder of the Indigenous Cannabis Industry Association. How's it going, Rob? Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Trish. I'm super overwhelmed and excited to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Great. How's the show treating you so far? This is my first MJ BizCon. It's uh, everything, you know, a stoner like me wanted to see when I was in high school. And now it's real. And this is a professional environment and it's super cool. I'm, it's, I'm happy to be here. Isn't it strange? I have that constant feeling of like surrealism because it's, I never imagined. There's just so much irony in kind of every conversation um, when you really think about where we were 20 years ago and, you know, where we are now and, and still how much catching up there is yet to do. Yeah, well said. So tell our listeners a little bit about the Indigenous Cannabis Industry Association. Yeah, thank you. Um, and we appreciate being here. Uh, we are a 501c6 trade association for Indigenous cannabis. Uh, that is tribes, that is uh, tribal operators, tribal-owned businesses, that's uh, non-native partners that want to help kind of advance the industry uh, in a good way for us uh, because we need it, you know, from an economic diversification method to a workforce developer. Uh, we know that Hemp and cannabis are, are good for us. They bring homeostasis to the earth and, and ourselves as human beings. And it's a plant medicine that is protected, you know, by treaty rights and sovereignty. So we have all these advantages. The goal of ICA is to bring some education and some open sourcing to the industry. So are you working nationally? We are sort of internationally. Indigenous is international. We don't really see state lines or, um, you know, indigenous communities are kind of all communities. So no real borders, which is which is great. Yeah. So what kind of challenges did you set out to solve for uh, the communities you're working with? Well, it's a lot of what's in your word. You know, it's tech, it's technical assistance uh, for us. It's how do we do this? How can we bring skill sets back to for me? How can I become a farmer? Because I was a businessman and I wanted to get into hemp and cannabis. And in Wisconsin, we only have hemp. So that was my first kind of, I threw my hat in the ring there. I've been a hemp producer uh, since 2019 and we're still only hemp in Wisconsin. So we're surrounded by all legal states, have yet to go medicinal or rec. Uh, but for me it was, uh, is there a way or an association I can join so that I can level up my skills, have more opportunities? And unfortunately uh, for the indigenous community, there was not not anything uh, in regards to like a national association. So we created it. Yeah, great call. So uh, what are some projects you're working on currently that you're most excited about? Um, you know, there's different facets to what we do. You know, when tribes join um, or operators, they're at different levels of, of business point of entry. So a lot of it is technical assistance for whatever level or phase of, of cannabis they're in. Some of it is hemp uh, and it's hempcrete. 
the Lower Sioux Tribe in Minnesota is doing some really innovative things. They're building hemp homes right now. They're not even moving towards uh, adult use or medicinal because they're very focused on the economic opportunities around hemp. And there's also a lot of federal funding for hemp projects and climate smart commodities like that. So we're, we're being diverse and malleable with what we do as an association because uh, that's how unique our tribes are. They're all so independently different and beautiful and all have different uh, locations and priorities that I think, you know, cannabis and hemp can be ap ap applicable to because they don't have to do it all. Yeah, I think that's that's a great point. And I'm excited to see more hemp development, um, especially in the United States. I think it's an underdeveloped industry here. And we still have to do, to me, a wild amount of import for hemp, um, considering what, what it could be, I think. Yeah, and processing too. I think the only approved yeah. processing facility in the Midwest is in Missouri right now. So when you try and engage farmers in Wisconsin to say, hey, you know, hemp is a viable, you know, cash crop commodity, you know, even if you're just using it as a cover crop, there's carbon credits that can be generated, but who's going to take it off my hands? Where's the supply chain? Who's going to buy it? How do we process it? So there's a lot of question marks. And I think a lot of uh, data that if we can help push this out, in a better way and, and, you know, provide some context, maybe more people would get on board. Yeah, absolutely. I spoke with a, a woman yesterday who was telling me that Mexico is actually heavily investing in hemp uh, manufacturing. They already have so many manufacturing facilities that are perfect for it. So they're working to become an exporter also of some hemp building materials like hemp sheets. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's a, a great opportunity. It is. It is. And it's sort of limitless. You know, we could go down the rabbit hole and talk about all the uses of industrial hemp and, you know, say, what the heck are we doing? Why, why don't why haven't we opened this door? Uh, but there's still also the medicinal side for our, our indigenous communities and, you know, opioids and substance abuse that has impacted our communities disproportionately where we need to be focused on bringing plant medicine back and, and looking at it as a medicine as well. And, and what, the reason I say industrial hemp and I, I bring medicine back in is because in Wisconsin, we only have hemp derived cannabinoids. So, you know, there's sort of the gray area of what is that like with the Delta eight and Delta nine? And is it still a medicine? Are there SOPs or regulations around it? And how could tribes even do that better? And I think there's an open door for ICIA to help them from a regulatory standpoint to, to kind of be above board uh, with everything we've seen out, out on the market. Well, what are your thoughts on that topic? Do you feel that it's still a medicine at that point? I do. Uh, hemp is a medicine. CBD is a medicine. We know, you know, Charlotte's Web, we understand the seizure story and the little girl that, you know, had to move states to get the medicine she needed. Um, cannabinoids are medicines and they, they work well with our bodies. Uh, and whether they're hemp derived, if, if there's SOPs and regulations in place, you know, safety can be paramount. And, you know, when the FDA decides to look at it that way, you know, I think everyone will have a little bit more peace of mind. Um, but you can have dirty marijuana and dirty hemp, you know, so mm. I, I guess it, the, the lens is in the eye of the beholder. So what are some of the ways that you're reaching out to other indigenous community members and saying, you know, we've got this association now, here are some opportunities in the industry. How are you making those connections? Yeah, so we just had our second national uh, DC policy summit, um, November 1st, 2nd and 3rd, uh, over a hundred tribes, uh, representatives from over a hundred tribes participated with this. Uh, it's it's creating a, a safe pool to kind of, you know, have a, a dolphin tank per se of if you want to come share ideas if you want to learn about the industry if you want to be a fly on the wall um, 
this is a safe space to do it. And that's what we want to create for, for ICIA, bring in the partners who are already operating the space, but bring them in and have them sit at our table, uh, as opposed to us always trying to ask for a spot somewhere else. So, you know, we're creating that platform by us for us. And, uh, you know, there's, there's so many innovative things happening in Indian country from, you know, tribes going legal before states do, to tribes investing in, in hemp and, and climate smart commodities and building their own homes out of it, to really putting the elder focus first in, in, in plant medicine uh, and having international commerce uh, with other indigenous nations because they have that sovereign right to. So, you know, it's, it's sort of a, this big wide net that we've cast that we want to just help bring clarity to, you know, ways that tribes can feel safe in the space talking about it because stigma is still a massive issue that plagues our communities and our society, you know, just around this plant. Yeah, absolutely. Can you tell me a bit about the international potential for trade? Yeah, I mean, there's international trade already happening between nations uh, with a, a, a lot of different commodities. Um, this is just another commodity. So there's a, a level of sovereignty that is proprietary that tribes don't have to talk about. They don't have to ask for permission for. Um, so that's the innovation that I think is unique and, and gives sort of a, a unique market opportunity to indigenous nations to not only you know have more of an ability to have commerce around it from a hemp and, and cannabis aspect, but to uh, to regulate it at a level where it's never been regulated because it's such a patchwork model across the world with obviously the U.S. kind of being behind in, in a lot of those those stances. But indigenous communities are not U.S. communities. So I just want to you know make that distinct point there. Yeah, well said. I think there's so much that um, isn't understood about sovereignty and what that entails for a substance like hemp or cannabis. So I appreciate you pointing out some of those um, unique opportunities. Uh, I just don't think it's covered enough. There's a lot of Indian 101 that happens when we do interviews and, and we're happy to do it, you know, because I think there's just a lot of awareness uh, about our tribal communities and how unique and um, complicated they all are. And sovereignty sounds like this great advantage. It also means we have to regulate every form of government for our, our small nations or our large nations. And sometimes that's like running a business or a corporation, or it's like running a small town with a town board. Um, and there's really a lot at stake, you know, from a fiscal perspective and from a, a public health perspective. So, but every one of them is, is so different and unique. And I think that's what the sort of non-native common public still could have a lot to learn. You know, Thanksgiving and all the things that we've learned growing up, we know that if we dig a little deeper, there's there's a lot more layers to it. Are you using any technology uh, platforms or tech to kind of help complete your mission or? There's definitely a lot around compliance and regulation. And, and the more that we can track, you know, seed to sale, we understand that that provides, you know, that's how we, that's how we get banking, right? When we can provide the peace of mind of knowing that, you know, it's not money laundering, that, you know, we're taking that seed, watching that from sort of seed to smoke per se, and tracking it along the way. And right now there's innovation in, in tribal commerce to have uh, sort of not necessarily compacts or agreements, but tribes that are willing to share technology around seed to sale tracking that is sovereign, that is tribal proprietary owned and creating sovereign markets. So I think that's really interesting. And if you knew that there was this really sovereign high level premier market where it was only like the top shelf, 
I would pay a premium for that. But there's also a tax advantage because if you go on reservation, you're not going to pay the same tax as you would off. So there's ways that we can put this together to, I think, lead the industry. Yeah, absolutely. So what's on the horizon for ICIA in 2024? Uh, well, our flagship event is our summit. You know, that's uh, our call to action because there's still a lot of federal lobbying that needs to be done uh, just for, you know, us as, as a nation. Um, so, you know, our voice is getting louder with that. Um, we have a, a number of events uh, that we have throughout the year, uh, the National Cannabis Festival, uh, the National uh, uh, Economic Development uh, for uh, Indian Nations, which is NCAID. They have a conference called RAS. It's the largest economic development uh, conference for Indian country. We now have a platform there, almost a full day, where we're talking cannabis and hemp, whereas a couple of years ago, this was just not talked about. Okay. Um, you know, Indian gaming is... is uh, bringing us to the table now to have discussions about certifications because now casinos are looking at foot traffic and building feasibility around consumption lounges, which only makes sense. It would. Uh, we also know that, you know, alcohol is, you know, uh, definitely something that has plagued a lot of our communities and having alternatives around that uh, for uh, hemp derived cannabinoids or, or THC um, beverages is a viable option there too. So tomorrow we actually have a visit with a company in Nevada uh, they've invited ICIA out to investigate these sort of in innovation um, alternatives for products in the industry that, you know, would be really good for our communities, you know, to have non-alcoholic, you know, recreational beverages, um, you know, without the long-term impacts of alcohol. So, you know, things that are in the micro where we have these tours tomorrow, uh, events that we host, um, and then regional events uh, as needed. Uh, depending upon what communities or regions need. So we, we don't know just yet, but always looking for uh, other ways that we can share, you know, the word and, and get support for what we're doing. I think you hit some really crucial points from uh, housing, building material to alternatives to for consumption. Um, you know, I think I, I hate to keep using the word potential and opportunity, yeah. but it does feel like it really fits a lot of those pegs um, for some challenges. So I'm glad that you were able to, to touch on all of that. Yeah, and, and like I said, we appreciate the platform. We need partners. Uh, we need not only vendors that want to come work in Indian country, but want to share skills and help, you know, advance Indian country. And, and we're willing to leverage groups, you know, around social equity and DEI to do that. Like put your money where your mouth is, but transfer skills to our communities. Don't just, you know, poach our communities per se. And, and unfortunately that has happened historically. So, you know, that's another area where ICIA is, uh, again, cast a wide net of accountability in the industry for at least those who um, want to work in, in tribal communities or with tribal uh, operators. Um, and there are predatory consultants out there that are doing such things. So, you know, sovereignty is a double-edged sword. Everyone thinks if I go work in a sovereign environment, then if something doesn't go well, no one's going to hear about it. Or yeah. I, there won't be repercussions because those laws don't apply if I'm in a sovereign environment. And, and wow. in some cases, that's been the case. I see. That's not something I had considered. Is, uh, is that something that ICIA talks about in your It's something events? that we're talking about often. Yeah. Uh, once once we kind of opened up and, and kind of launched, uh, one of the first things that we were doing was taking tours of facilities that were for 
five, 10 years old, where an operation had come through and had failed. And they were just sitting there with the remnants and, and kind of the dust had settled around this, you know, these grow houses, these generators, these drying racks, all these things. And there's been nothing done for years and years and the community invested and lost money. And so what do they do? You know, and then these groups, and maybe it was just a, you know, maybe they got pollinated, maybe it was mold, whatever it was, but it doesn't stop them from working. They, they keep moving on to other locations, but these are communities that don't move on. They're still there um, and they clean up the pieces of this. So it's, it's, off, it's often and it's too much. And hopefully that we can provide, you know, some at least uh, transparency and, and sort of a, you know, uh, a preferred vendor list for, for Indian country. At least I'd like to know that, you know, who I'm working with Absolutely. is legit. And unfortunately in cannabis, not everybody's legit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know. Yeah. When I started in the industry, I was a bit naive and I was like, oh, you know, like most of the people I knew growing up that I enjoyed partaking with. I was like, oh, they're cool. You know, right. if they, <laughs> if they right. enjoy. But obviously that's not the case, you know, with anything in life. You got to. Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing now is MSOs, right? So like, how can, there's a, here's a scenario in in Minnesota, it just went legal. Um, Right now, two tribes have, they basically own the market right now. And they're the only uh, legal THC producers in the state. Now we know there's a black market that's still happening in Minnesota because these are two up north tribes. But what's going to happen when the MSOs come in and they're already buying a property in Minnesota, you know, what's going to happen to these tribal brands and these tribal retail stores right now, there's a cash grab and is it sustainable, you know, and what is that going to look like? Um, and how could the tribes and, and, you know, indigenous communities sort of step up and get organized to sort of prevent that, uh, you know, yeah. and, and we're, we're really the ones that have, you know, tribal trade routes that bypass state lines where everyone's trying to figure out how can we get from state to state? Um, we have that. Great so it's, point. you know, there's, there's a lot of advantages that have yet to be tapped into and a lot of things that we need to do to leverage those so that Philip Morris and MSOs, you know, don't just come in and own the market because they have the most money. Absolutely. Great point. Um, I think I learned a lot from chatting with you. Where can our listeners go to kind of keep learning about the ICIA and follow along with your you journey? You can go to indigenouscannabis.org. Uh, learn all about uh, our association, what we do, become a member, support us, uh, come to one of our events, um, you know, just just get a better understanding of, you know, indigenous cannabis and all the beautiful things that are happening in that space and, and the needs as to why we need to move this this policy forward too. Um, but yeah, I, I check us out. We appreciate the support and we're humbled by it and happy to be here. That's awesome. Well, thanks for chatting with me, Rob. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. It was really nice to meet you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, on behalf of Cannabis and Tech Today uh, and Patricia Miller and Rob, we're signing off. So until next time, stay elevated. You deserve a choice in your growing media. With VitaWool, you finally have one. 
VitaWool plugs, blocks, and slabs are made from 70% recycled content here in North America and give you the precision and control you always get from your growing media with the customer service you've never gotten. See why more growers are switching to VitaWool. Get a spec sheet and join the movement at vidawool.com. Hey, hello, I'm Tommy Chong. If you want something really nice in your laboratory, buy Durachill. I'm telling you, if you're not using this Durachill, you're not really in the pot business. You're just on the fringe of it. So if you really want to get serious, man, this is what you need. You need a Durachill in your life. You've got the technology here to have the cleanest, purest, healthiest product. I'm impressed. You want me to sell this? Buy it. Try Durachill or else. If your chiller's down, you ain't making money. And you heard it from me, Tommy Chong. Brought to you by PolyScience. This show was produced by Cannabis Tech Today and Pretty Easy Podcasts. Go to prettyeasypodcast.com now if you're looking to get professional production help on your own podcast at an affordable rate. Pretty Easy Podcasts, making podcasting pretty easy.